Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at HVarsity Radio. Call in at 402-489-1240 or at 800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal. Thanks for hanging out. It's a Wednesday edition. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, where you're listening to us. You may need uh, those snowshoes or just to be real, real careful as snowmageddon hits a lot of the state. Be careful. Be safe. And we'll try and keep you entertained uh, through the next couple of hours. Can join us today on Hale Varsity Radio. Numbers to get in. It's shifted. That phone number is 402, always the 402 area code, 489-1240. 402-489-1240. Where you can hear us across the state, 1-800-825-5865. You want to watch the show? Go for it. Can uh, stream us and watch the show on the Hale Varsity YouTube channel and also the Hale Varsity Twitter handle at H Varsity Radio. Submit your comments that way as well on uh, three different platforms for KFOR, KFOR uh, Twitter at KFOR Radio, and then KFOR Radio and KFOR Sports. Two Facebook pages for you. Uh, just to double your fun. On the program here in 20 minutes, we'll jump in with Mike Babcock from Hale Varsity. It is not golf weather, but we are all dreaming of warmer temperatures. Uh, we'll have Mike Shuhart from Wilderness Ridge on. Then Evan Bland going to be with us in one hour. His takeaway with Oscar Baseball thus far. And we'll recap a busy day with Nebraska football, as we got to hear from the strength and conditioning coach, Coach Cooper, Coach Dvorak, the linebackers coach, and Coach Donnie Riola met the media. We'll get some of their comments coming up. A jock doc with Dr. Brandon Seifert as we wind down a Wednesday. You can email the show, Chris, at HaleVarsity.com. So, uh, listen, uh, really, and I want, to, I want you to read this. Uh, because he's incredible at what he does. But the latest issue of Hale Varsity Magazine has got another just bang-up column by Brandon Vogel called Nothing But Everything, okay? It's, uh, I don't want to freak Vogue's out, but it's kind of where the centerfold would be, okay? It's just in the middle of the magazine, great column by Vogue's, and we'll talk to him tomorrow. But it, it really hits on a lot of different topics. I'm going to ask you the question. Where does winning start? Where does winning start for your favorite team, your favorite program, whatever your sport is? I mean, and it's, it's a fun discussion point. And right now for Nebraska football, winning starts, well, it started with winter conditioning. Okay? Winning starts with winter conditioning and taking what you have what's come in from the portal, what hasn't left for the portal yet, and it's a new regime. It's a new leader. It's a new coaching staff. It's, it's new players. It's a new system and scheme. And winning starts right now with guys getting or staying in shape or getting rehabbed and getting accustomed to one another, right? Right. 
Talent's huge. Talent doesn't win by itself. Scheme's incredible. Chip Kelly's fantastic. He had some dudes. Goes to the talent discussion point. But those guys, and pick your favorite Husker team, um, they, they have chemistry. That chemistry is born and developed through that shared suck, as Jay Moore would tell us, right now in winter conditioning. But uh, many points hit on by Vogues in his column. And, you know, where does winning start? You have talent, you have coaching, you have scheme. And it starts with organization, and it also starts with the, the winter conditioning. Uh, fascinated to, to dive into some thoughts from Coach Cooper today as Nebraska is at it. We'll hear from Coach Riola in a little bit. And uh, we'll get there first with strength and conditioning, how it's changed. Right, Elijah? Mm. Nebraska used to be the the leader in it uh, during the Epley years. Nebraska was the gold standard of strength and conditioning and and nutrition and flexibility and Husker power and being explosive. And, I mean, they had it all rolling, man. It was their advantage. They They had behemoths on the line of scrimmage. They had more behemoths waiting to get in and stomp on you when they were already up by 28 points. And they had more guys working in the weight room to get their chance to stomp on you, uh, whether they're, they're down or not uh, in, in a contest. Uh, they also had television. They were on TV three to four times a year. Most teams got one. Okay, now everybody's on TV. The new advantage is going to be this Monster facility and NIL. Okay, so Nebraska is going to have the newest, shiniest toy, and they're going to have uh, uh, all sorts of fan base contributions. Right, uh, your chance to go play at Nebraska, get a great education, play for a good coach, and a really talented athletic director. But oh yeah, you can get some gravy for doing so, and it's all legal. But strength and conditioning that is going to separate you in the fourth quarter if you do it right here's coach cooper some of the 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 technological advances that have been made even when you know from when i was a player and that was about 10 years ago now i finished up at the university of georgia in 2013 um the the advances that that have been made in this field have been great you know right back when i was a player we didn't have uh in our weight room devices that could track you know bar velocity they may have been out there but we didn't utilize them right the catapult gps was just being introduced into the united states into the united states so we didn't have the ability to track you know player loads and velocities that we have now so with those technological advances utilizing that to our advantage to understand where to take the training that's been that's been huge um the things that have stayed the same you know at the end of the day 45 pounds is 45 pounds right you got to pick up a barbell and you got to train you know i'm a firm believer that there's no substitute for strength and no excuse for the lack of it so from that standpoint we're going to get on the barbell and we're going to train you know it, it 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 takes work to achieve the goals that you set for yourself and want to achieve so that's the same but the way in which you approach it as a result of the technology that we have today you know that approach may be a little bit different so that's a bit of an answer to our question where does winning start winning starts with work Hmm. right and that is uh, a good answer from coach cooper let's get his take on his first impression right he's been able to eyeball all the kids out there playing in the snow i'm air quoting playing 
uh, working hard in the snow last weekend, but coming in for winter conditioning. Oh, the guys have responded well. You know, the one thing I will say about them, when I walked in the door at the end of November, they were eager to work. You know, and that's that's something that I value. You know, their their willingness to be coached. You know, that's been that's been huge. So my initial impression of them was was very well, and they received me very well. You know, anything I asked those guys to do, from an attention to detail and effort standpoint, they've done. So I'm proud of them with respect to that. And let's talk about the mentality needed to be part of Nebraska football under Matt Rule, under Coach Cooper. I think the mentality from an offseason standpoint is to get 1% better every day, right? And understand what the goal is, but what it takes on a daily basis to achieve that. Um, again, attention to detail, effort are, are, are huge pillars of what we look to accomplish in the weight room. And also the mindset of hard work, right? Winter programs across college football, a lot of people are doing the same things, right? What's going to set you apart from those other programs across the country? It's not what we're asking you to do from a day-to-day standpoint, standpoint that's required. It's what are you willing to do extra. So um, I think those three things are, are, are things that we look to, we look to foster um, during winter training. That is Coach Cooper, strength and conditioning. Campbell, Coach Campbell. I said Cooper. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I, 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 was doing that, I was doing it last week too. I had to put like three different quarters in that the That absolutely slaps the old credibility in the face. I know. I was doing it last week too. You know what the problem is? I'm sorry. It's because his name is Corey Campbell. There's Evan Cooper on staff. You combine the two and you get Corey I mean, Cooper. Name tags. Well, you get Corey Cooper, former Husker safety. That's the problem. Is Corey Cooper is a name that we've been saying for years. Mm-hmm. I, I believe he graduated back in what, 2013 or 2014? He's safety for 2013. Exactly. Yeah. That name is so ingrained in our heads that you hear Corey and there's already a Cooper on staff of, and you immediately I think go he was there. was out of Chicago. I'm sorry. You know, it, I'm telling you, that's been the problem. I did. This, I made the same mistake last week and I apologize to the listeners then. We're apologizing to the listeners we're again. We're going to take it's a phone just... call and we're going to take this public flogging right now. <laughs> All right, 489-1240. Four, uh, four, Coach Campbell, I, I, I trust me, I follow the program. I, I apologize, a thousand apologies. We'll have Mike Babcock on here in about 10 minutes, get his take on how things are going for Nebraska. But, yeah, Coach Campbell, Coach Campbell uh, laying out what this is uh, when it comes to, to their mindset, where they're going to work. And, you know, how can Nebraska be different and better than the next guy? Nebraska can be different and better than the next guy, the next team. We laid out the facilities, the NIL, the fan base, but really what has been different about Nebraska when they've been elite has been their leadership Mm. and it's been their talent but that leadership has brought in the talent it's used a system and they were better at it than anybody else and and they quite frankly had willpower they had more willpower than than most teams didn't always out talent teams and if Nebraska went 10 and 2 the, the two they lost were probably a nail-biter to Oklahoma, and a, and a tough draw in a bowl game. And, and there you go, uh, on probably the opponent's home field in, in January. So that's, that's where Nebraska has been different for years during the, 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 the great years, how they've been similar to other programs that have been scuffling uh, is, quite frankly, bad choices. It's been bad hires or lack of patience with certain hires, and you've hit this uh, repeat spike, this repeated cycle of, of reset. And 
Tennessee kind of looks to be crawling out of it now with Heupel. At least they love him now. <laughs> okay, Florida State looks to be out of this vicious cycle. Uh, is Miami finally? Is Texas finally? I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if Sark is long for this world or not. A&M's kind of gone through it. Okay, LSU's on... Uh, you know, a third or fourth coach, but it's a really good coach. And Coach Kelly takes the personality part out of it. Notre Dame's kind of been stabilized when they hired Kelly after their merry-go-round. I mean, that that's that's it. Can you finally hit on the right one? And you look at programs that have been successful in the West. Minnesota, uh, after they made the mistake of, of getting rid of Glenn Mason, Went and got Brewster. He's a salesman. But then they went and got Kill, and then they got Fleck. Two good hires. Iowa's sat it and rode out with Ference, and they've been really, really successful. Penn State killed it. Absolutely killed it back-to-back after that disgusting display of leadership with Joe Paterno. They go get Bill O'Brien, and then they get James Franklin. Wow killed it ohio state sweater vest and then you go get urban all right and and then it's been okay after urban right ryan, ryan day has been has really wrecked the ferrari no i mean he he may need to wash it a little bit but he keeps getting first round quarterbacks <laughs> and then really wisconsin's stabilized a bit so can you just be good with you're higher and where you want to take the program. I mean, that's that's where it's been a, a problem. And, and Nebraska's on to another, uh, another coach, and this guy seems to get it. And what's refreshing about his approach is, is he, he gets the job, at least right now, right? Just He's not scared of the weight or expectations of the job. And... His approach at it is similar to what he's done with Temple and Baylor. They're, Nebraska has a program stature and brand is is giant. Baylor's been a better program the last 10 years in Nebraska. I never thought I'd say that in my life, but they are. But the, the approach is going to be the same. And again, how do you how do you win? Where does winning start? It starts with work. And uh, that work uh, being done right now in winter conditioning. Mm-hmm. Well, um, what's what's the best way I want to phrase this? I, I liked what he had to say about work is is not about what the coaches direct you to do. That that, that is what is expected of you. There's extra work that's needed because that reminds me of those plenty years. Mm-hmm. That, that that was the mentality that those guys tried to instill. Whenever uh, you, you listen to Amir Abdullah. Um, talk about his time at Nebraska and you compare that with what his teammates had to say about him too. It was all the same story as on Friday nights, Amir Abdullah did not go hang out with his friends. No. Amir Abdullah came down to the stadium on his Friday friends nights. friends were the weight room. He, he got an extra lift on Friday nights and he went and sat alone in the film room by himself, breaking down film for hours and hours and hours on Friday night. He was getting that extra work in. That's what set those Bo Pliny teams apart from the Mike Riley teams, the Scott Frost teams, the Callahan teams, whatever you want to put in there. They instilled that mentality of the work is not done whenever the coaching staff is done with you. You, you are going to continue working by yourself. You need to be the hardest working team in America if you want to find success around here. That was the mentality that was instilled. So 
I liked what he had to say about, yes, winning starts with work, but winning does not start with the work that the coaches are, are assigning to you. Winning starts with what you are doing extra beyond what the coaches are telling you in order to give yourself not only a leg up on your teammates to go win that starting job, but a leg up on the rest of the conference. Well, it's that expectation and standard, right? It's going to be the standard that rule sets and, 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 and sets in concrete, and then that's what you need to achieve. We'll get some thoughts from Mike Babcock. His impression of Coach Campbell. Heard from Coach Raiola. The offensive line, always a fascinating topic. Have our city with you on a Wednesday. And we're presented by Currency. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. You can find us on KFOR Twitter, Facebook, and KFOR Sports' Facebook, the Hale Varsity Twitter handle at HVarsity Radio. Follow that. And as always, the Hale Varsity YouTube can check out all the interviews from the coaches' session today with Coach Campbell, Coach Dvorak, and of course, uh, Coach Riola. We welcome in historian, author, Hall of Famer, Mr. Husker Football, Mike Babcock, with us at MD Babs on Twitter. Babbers, how much ice you have on your driveway, bud? <laughs> a lot of ice. I, you know, I almost turned around and came home when I was heading down to the baseball availability. It was so bad. So I, I don't handle ice very well. Really? Uh, See, North Lincoln not was at all. North Lincoln. Whenever I was leaving for for here today, I had no issues. Well, I need to move north apparently because mm. it was a little little glazy, too glazy for me. Babbers, we'll get into football in a minute. What uh, are some takeaways with Coach Bolt after a tough weekend? What what did Will have to say? Well, it, you know, I think, you know, the obvious thing is that there's a lot of baseball games to be played and you can't, you can't uh, set what's going to happen based on what happened the first weekend. Um, he, he, he felt like there were some obvious positives in the last couple of games offensively. Um, and, you know, that was, that was the, probably the big takeaway uh, from the weekend. If you look at it, the way Nebraska uh, played offensively, and again, particularly in those last two games, um, you feel like you're going to win a couple of games in that situation. But when your pitching staff walks 20 and hits 10 <laughs> and gives up that many free passes, um, you're probably going to have some issues. And uh, Nebraska did. And that was one of the things that, that he mentioned, that he didn't think that the pitchers uh, competed the, the really pitchers in particular didn't compete the way they should have. Um, that's something that you can uh, overcome. And, uh, I, you know, I still think that there's reason for optimism regardless of what happened there um, because of that. You know, it, it's um, – I expected more out of the pitching staff because last year I, I felt like the, the pitching held up pretty well and they've got some guys back from that. Um, it's going to be the same uh, starting rotation uh, at, at South Alabama. Um, so we'll see how they rebound from that standpoint. But you look at the, you look at it again, it's just you can't give away those free passes the way Nebraska did. And on top of that, Nebraska, you know, the pitching staff walked 20. Nebraska drew 18 walks, almost as many walks. And Nebraska had almost as many guys hit by pitches, eight. Um, so it had that going for it. Um, and Nebraska hit over 300 for the series. So there are things, takeaway uh, 
uh, takeaways that you you can look at and say, well, here's a reason for optimism. And again, four games in, it, it's difficult to say what uh, that necessarily going to affect what happens after. Well, Mike, when you look back at, at opening weekend, I think the starting pitching was good enough to win you some baseball games this year. I think those guys are going to start going deeper into games as the year goes on and their their arms get ready for the rigors of a season. I think the the hitting did well enough to win you some games. It was really that, that bullpen that caused you issues, and you kind of hit on the reasons why, but were you surprised with that performance, just with the kind of experience Nebraska has in their bullpen this year. You have some former starters in the bullpen, Shea Shannon and Kyle Perry, guys that have pitched a lot of baseball games for Nebraska in the bullpen, yet those are the guys that struggled the most, it felt like, this weekend. So were you surprised by that? I've been told by people that know baseball a hell of a lot more than me that making the switch from a starting pitcher to the bullpen is a lot harder than it would seem. But were you surprised that those guys were the guys that really let the team down this weekend? Um, yeah, I was surprised that those guys were for the, for the reasons that you mentioned. Um, but I think that there is probably some transition from starting pitcher to bullpen that, uh, that I don't understand um, that maybe you're seeing there that, that maybe that they weren't as focused as they needed to be on what immediately had to happen because um, when you're a starting pitcher, there's a little bit of, of a bigger picture that you're, that you're looking at as a reliever, you have to be very focused on that one batter. You might only face one batter. Who knows um, what the situation is? And uh, that was the thing that uh, surprised me, that the relief pitching was not what I thought it was going to be. And you're right. They, they did get some good starts out of I think all three of the starters won at least five innings. Um, and for a first weekend, um, I think that's, uh, you know, you you feel like you've accomplished what you need to accomplish with those guys. But then the relief pitching kind of let them down, I think. Mike Babcock is with us from HailVarsity.com and Magazine at MDBabs on Twitter is where you follow Mike. Mike, going to go to football now and some media availability today uh, as uh, Coach Campbell available, strength and conditioning, a chance to, to meet and greet. Of course, Dvorak, the linebackers coach, and uh, Coach Riola, the feel with the, the two position coaches, Babbers, is they're still sorting things out. Um, Riola excited to be back and excited to to give those guys a second voice. What'd you take away from Coach Riola uh, specifically? Uh, other, I mean, my main takeaway is they're, they're still kind of uh, looking to find their best five even before they get to the pads point here this spring. Well, you know, I thought it was interesting that he that he talked about uh, how all of the offensive linemen are going to be tried at, you know, see some time at center, some tackle, some guard, whatever, moving guys around. And, and uh, um, you know, I, I don't think Coach Riola is, is real enamored with uh, talking to the media, for one thing. Um, there yeah. were some short answers that he provided there. But, you know, the thing about it is now he, he's in his second year, so he has some – experience with the guys that are coming back plus the fact that i think that uh, you know they feel pretty good about the guys that they're bringing in um so it's just how how do those guys mesh and and where are they going to fit when it comes time to play uh in the fall and i think that's going to be an important spring for things to shake out you know a guy like turner corcoran is he going to be a guard is he going to be a tackle where, is, where are things going to shake out? Even though he might be able to play other positions, where, where is he, his focus going to be? We're probably going to find that out at the end of the spring. 
And that seemed to be the message that we were getting from, from Coach Royola was, this is what we're going to find out in the spring, where these guys fit. Well, you've seen Turner on each outside spot at tackle. You've seen him at guard. He even was mentioned at center today. I mean, they, they to your yeah. point, they're going to look at look at everybody. You've got options. Presumably, it's going to be Scott's job to lose at center, but that's not even in pencil yet. I hear there's some real good tight ends that have some great prospects at center this year, Schmitty. I yeah, he's, I he's in Philly. Uh, <laughs> he's in Philly. Uh, Piper's, you know, a guy that he mentioned as well. I mean, I don't care who they find, but if I'm a Nebraska fan, find me seven or eight that can do it. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. And, it, and when you look at center, I think when you come out of the spring, you're probably going to have a pretty good idea of who that center is going to be and center is not a position where you're going to shuffle guys in and out. I mean, that, that's it. pretty much, uh, unless there's an injury or something, um, whoever emerges as the starting center is the center. Mm-hmm. But with tackle and guard, you've got to have guys that you can take in there, I think, um, guys that have experience um, when things matter um, and, and that can play um, either side um, as a backup. You know, ideally, I guess you'd have uh, uh, four guards and four tackles, but I think at least at minimum three uh, guards, three tackles, and you'll probably find that by the end of the spring. You hope that you will. Although you got a guy like uh, Prohaska that's uh, he's hurt and is going to be limited in the spring. He's not going to. I don't even know if he's going to be able to practice. Um, and he's still recovering, so mm-hmm. um, there's going to be uh, situations like that, but. I think they'll have an idea of how they want to line up uh, and who are going to be the top backups by the end of spring. Uh, and you've got to have some of those guys. When you say top backups, it's a guy that you can put in there that, that has had experience when it matters. You know, you just don't wait till you uh, hopefully get a big lead and then you put them in. You put them in when, when the game is out. Mike, one of the things we talked about yesterday on the show was the fact that we're unsure how much we're going to learn about this offensive line in the spring because a lot of times whenever it's a new coaching staff coming in, that defense is going to be ahead of the offense, and by the time you get to the spring game, you're going to be letting that offense run some things in order to to get some experience going full speed against a defense where the defense is going to be kind of base. We're not going to learn all that much. But do you think the offensive line gets a leg up in that sense because they're the only position group that has a, a returning position coach this year with Don Varela coming back for his second season? He already has some notion of what he has in that room. Yeah, well, that's a little bit of an advantage, I think. And, and, and you look at the defense now, in, in this case, you're looking at a whole a different defensive system, um, which I thought it was interesting, um, the response to the question, you know, what kind of defense? Chaos. You know, uh, I thought that was a good answer. But um, uh, defense is going to be learning a new system uh, in as well, so maybe the offensive line will have a little bit of an opportunity to be a little bit ahead of where it would have been had those guys been in the same defense and were coming back to the same board, you know, uh, um, which they're not. Mike Babcock is with his Babbers. Before we get out of here, uh, how about the run Fred and Nebraska's been on? Uh, what's uh, what's been most enjoyable for you uh, as you look at this uh, win streak? 
And Babbers is going Han Solo here for us. Well, I'm probably like everyone. Oh, there we go. We got you. We had him. We had him. All right, three, two, one, Babbers. You're, you're up, bud. We got you now. And he's gone. <laughs> he was going to say. He was, somebody was just about to say something, and his screen goes black, and, and he's and, gone. And, and Babbers is going to be like, you know, that was going to be so incredibly important. It was going to be profound on the air. It's rare whenever the video doesn't crap out on us, but the audio does. That doesn't happen very much whenever we're bringing people on with the stream. Mm-hmm. You can see Mike. You can see the wheels turn. You can see about to prepare an answer, and then boom, the screen goes dark. <laughs> right now, Babbers is the kindest, best guy ever. And, and right now, he probably reached into his second desk drawer where there's a hammer. <laughs> And and he's gonna he's gonna swing away. Babbers was gonna say, I'm gonna just say, it just went out. He just texted me. It just went out. Uh, we're just gonna put words in Babbers' mouth. I think he's enjoying Kisei Tomonaga. Oh, 100. percent I think I think Babbers is is probably rocking a a Kisei jersey, and he's hoping that Golden State gives Tomonaga a jersey. Or just draft him. <laughs> that's what I mean. Okay, okay. That's what I meant. I thought you meant like gift him a Steph Curry jersey. No, that's... no, I'm, I'm saying get him, a, <laughs> get him a jersey. Yeehaw. Okay, we'll uh, talk a little golf. Mike uh, Shuhart's on the way. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. I'm Brandon Vogel, managing editor of Hale Varsity. And I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we produce. 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity. We're presented by Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herba. We'll check in with Mike Schuhart in a bit. But love Babber's perspective. We'll get some more thoughts on Husker baseball and Big Red football next hour. Evan Bland with the Omaha World Herald. How about Carter Nelson? Tied in from Ainsworth. Last week it was Roll Tide, Nick Saban in Alabama, offering the talented ball player. Notre Dame's been through. Nebraska's been out there. High, high, high priority for the Big Red. Well, it got even more thick for competition. Georgia, an offer just two hours ago to Carter Nelson. Miami, the U. They've printed tight ends. Incredible tight ends. Purdue has had a good run of tight ends. That's just today. Yesterday, A&M, Illinois, Texas, Ole Miss. Wow. Of course, Iowa's in on him. Uh, I mean, it's going to be every monster power five. I believe LSU's there as well. And Carter Nelson, such a dynamic talent. He's that body type that is somebody that can get loose, can flex out in the slot. His frame allows you to put some weight on. 
but he's got that speed and athleticism that is just gifted, and then you factor in the basketball skills. Um, he, he's, a, he's a wow, wow, wow prospect. And I, if you're a Nebraska fan, you hope it's, it's an eventual get. But, man, it is absolutely anything but a sure thing because of all these squads that are, that are going after him. And, man, I think uh, some small-town Nebraska kids, or, or maybe not Metro is the best way to put it, I mean, I, th- I look at a number of the schools that, that came after Andrew Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. A-Rod is, is one name that, that kind of comes to, to, to my mind. Um, I look at some of the, the schools that were after Harburg, right? I mean, some other Power Five squads. And, uh, of course, you look at uh, some of the Metro kids. Uh, Malachi Coleman had a monster offer list. Uh, you have uh, Noah Fant, a uh, big-time offer list. Um, so, I mean, go back even further. That that Amon uh, Green had a big offer list. I think it was that that Millard West team with uh, Harrison Phillips went off to Stanford, and the quarterback of that Millard West team also went off somewhere. Then Creighton Prep a couple years ago, they mm-hmm. had a couple guys go to North Dakota State who mm-hmm. won national championships yeah, yeah. there in North Dakota State. So the, the who's who of college football, and I'm not sure Notre or North Dakota State's the who's who, but they are no, at least they're, in Division One AA. They, they would have the who's who. They, they, they come won, to Nebraska. They, they would have won the Big Ten West a few years. <laughs> that was uh, Easton Stick was the quarterback yep, from Creighton Prep Stick, that went great, up there and did, did really well, even made a little mm-hmm. bit of an NFL career out of it as well. No, I, and I look at Carter Nelson here, and, and be sure to follow along with, with Brady Altman's from Hale Varsity. He's done a tremendous job on all the recruiting updates, but also has had some really nice features and has some great connections in Ainsworth. So, you know, if, if you're Nebraska, I mean, Rule absolutely hammers at home with just the fact that let's develop a relationship, let's be genuine, let's make sure fit is is a two-way street. Yeah, you're a great player. It makes uh, no sense uh, for us to, to not want to go after you, but we got to we got to connect, and Nebraska's doing their due diligence. But if you're a kid from, I don't care if, if you're from Lincoln, if you're from Omaha, if you're from a smaller community, pick a spot in Nebraska. If you're from a rural community, that's pretty cool things with the who's who of the SEC or your two-time defending national champion that puts tight ends into the NFL coming after you. You just wonder what that that tug is like for an in-state kid still to come to Nebraska. I mean, what's that tug like in a place like Ainsworth? It's hours from Lincoln. Mm-hmm. You're closer to, to Boulder, Colorado than you are to Lincoln. What's that that connection like well, I'm with, sure, with I'm the sure University Coach, of Nebraska? I'm sure Coach Prime will just send a tweet out there, hey, any tight ends, call me. <laughs> any tight ends from Ainsworth, Nebraska? Any, t- <laughs> any tight ends from Ainsworth? We got a give, spot for you. <laughs> give me a shout. <laughs> you know. Prime ain't picking up the phone. You're picking up the phone for Prime. <laughs> you know that that game sold out already for uh, Colorado State, Colorado. That's sold out. That is sold out. The one that they play in Denver, I the, think. I know they did that for years. I think they still do it. That they, was they kind of discontinued the... in Donkey Land because of the tear gas bowl. You remember that? Of course, you weren't born yet. My cousin used to go to Colorado. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He he spent a lot of semesters there. Awesome, fun time to go visit him there in Boulder, and he he got hit over the head by a CSU student. Mm-hmm. It was like a half bottle of Jack Daniels. He ended up missing the game 
because of stitches. I mean, it got really heated between those two in-state rivals, but at least he was taking uh, ibuprofen, ibuprofen and, and, and probably uh, some Coors because that game they had to shoot tear gas into the, uh, the stands. This is like 20-plus years ago because it got so heated. I mean, they had, to de- they had to deploy canisters in the late 90s for that rivalry. So it's not been in Donkey Land. It's not been in Denver for a long, long time. Really? It's either been home and home. It was a uh, – that was back when it was called Sports Authority Field. I don't even know what the Broncos Stadium is called anymore. It's I don't games. either. Like, just- I, I miss the old Mile High, and I miss yeah. the old Red Lion Inn where some of us could crawl to and from that parking lot to the old stadium. Oh, everyone in Denver misses the old – the old stadium as well. So I'll just call it Mile High. I know it was in Mile High as of a couple of years ago. So I'm not sure if it mm-hmm. it still is there. It was there at least pre-COVID. Back like 2018, mm-hmm. 2019, they still played it there. I'm, I'm surprised, though, that that Nebraska game isn't the first one that gets sold out for Colorado this year. Nebraska, odds are out. Are they? Yes. And early, early line is out for Nebraska. And uh, they are a seven-point favorite, which... Hey, you'll take. Uh, but, yeah, the Buffs are opening up this year as an underdog. 17 and a half points to, to TCU. And they're already, a, <laughs> they're already a touchdown dog to Nebraska for the Coach Prime home opener. Um, so that is going to make Colorado fans sick. So, theoretically, they could start out 0-2, a loss to TCU, a loss to Nebraska. That would be really cool if you're a big Red fan. And then you've got Colorado State. And then you travel to Oregon, you host USC, and then you're down to Arizona State. So, Dion could open up Ofer. And the reason I, I, I broach that Ofer topic is because he's got one heck of a job to flip this roster. He's brought in a ton of talent. He's got some juice behind that program right now. More juice than Colorado's had in a long, long he time. He does, but can they all fit and can they all play? And what happens to that juice if you start the Euro in five? Oh, I mean, Colorado's all front-loaded with where they're going to be seen and, and they're going to ride that Coach Prime train for a bit. Well, with that contract, they have to. No, but, but I'm saying... They'll get some good TV, some juicy TV spots early on mm-hmm. until they're over. <laughs> I mean, if they're over, you know, if they don't, if they don't beat Colorado State, or if they get annihilated by Oregon, they'll uh, they'll jump off the prime train after USC. We'll wind down hour one at Tail Varsity, presented by Currency. And now, and now back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time this first hour, it's Hale Varsity Radio. If you're just finding us or you're looking for us, 12.40 a.m. in Lincoln locally, 101.5 FM, Lincoln locally, 590 in Omaha on ESPN Omaha, and then Cardi Hastings, Grand Island, 1460, 1550, and uh, 92.7, 92.1 on the FM, and then News Talk 900 in Columbus. Ways to get in touch with us can also check out the stream, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel, and then the social media platforms, the KFOR Facebook and Twitter, and KFOR Sports Facebook, the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter handle. Give that a follow at HVarsity Radio. You can find me, Chris Schmidt, at Schmidt underscore radio. 
or Elijah Herbal at Herbal Essence. That's where you go. And I did some furious Googling during the break. Steve, I think on Twitter, says it's Invesco. It's not. It? No, it's, it's not. Changed. Invesco went under a couple years ago. It is now, and I knew this as soon as I Googled it, I went, oh, duh, of course. I've watched enough Broncos games this year that I should have known this. Empower Field at Mile High. What is Empower? Empower? I have no idea what company that is. So it's Empower, is, it was Invesco, and it, before Invesco, it was what? It was, it was Invesco. And that was, I believe, what the stadium began as whenever it switched from Mile High. So it became Invesco Field at Mile High. But it was some sort of like sports authority, And then it was sports authority. So Invesco went under and they went to sports authority. Sports authority field at Mile High. Sports authority then goes under. And I believe there was one in between sports authority and Empower. I I remember. They just keep on picking losing businesses. Well, (laughs) and and like the Astros kicked this thing off. (laughs) It was uh, because Enron Field, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the old Enron debacle. I, listen, if, if I'm going to sell naming rights, I got to get it up front. I need 80% up front. Oh, you don't like the uh, the, the, the dollar amount? Too bad. Or putting your uh, your business on the side of a stadium. Well, my, my favorite soccer team, uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Mm-hmm. They, they built a new stadium about two, two and a half years ago, and they still have been unable to secure naming rights for the stadium. And part, part of the reason people think they're doing that is that they want to build the Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, it's Tottenham Hotspur Stadium now, so whenever NFL games are played there, people are going to go, oh, Tottenham Hotspur, a soccer team. Let's go follow them. But I just think it's because that they're bad at business and they don't know how to sell the naming rights because there's been like six different businesses that have apparently been close and they've never been able to seal the deal. I've been so. told, and I was talking to my cousin Nader, Nader's a uh, big-time soccer fan, and the business model for a lot of your pro soccer across the pond, especially your premier, it's only like 40 bucks for great seats. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's super affordable. Oh, yeah. Like, like there was this, uh, this big fiasco where uh, like the best seats in the stadium for a, a, a... It was the FA Cup final, I believe, a very big match. We're going for 85 pounds, so like 100 bucks, and people were freaking out saying, oh, they're, they're pricing the, the average fan out of football. And I went, wow, you guys are lucky. You guys are lucky. <laughs> that, that brings up an interesting 85 point, bucks? Though. That's a dream. Brings up an interesting point, though, just with like naming rights and whatnot. Do you think Nebraska would ever consider naming rights for Memorial Stadium if it were to help the football team? Sure, absolutely. Would they go naming rights and say, hey, this goes to the athletes, this goes to the NIL collective, and that now gets to go yeah, everything's back to on the, the university? Table. Everything's on the table. That's Hy-Vee Stadium at Memorial, no, Hy-Vee Field at Memorial Stadium. Right now it's Tom Osborne. No, you're not going to punt the redhead, dude. <laughs> you're never going to get rid of the field. No. You can name, uh, let's call it uh, Cabela's. Cabela's. Cab- Memorial Stadium, Tom Osborne Field. Memorial Stadium at one Cabela's Drive? It's already Championship Drive. You can't change that. You can change that. No, you can't. You can get sponsorship. They keep uh, not getting a conference title, you can change it. <laughs> sure. Uh, reminder to get buckled up, especially when it's icy out. Hands on the wheel, eyes and mind straight ahead. The driver has one job to drive. A message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Hey, it's Schmitty. Want to tell you about a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having competitive, stable history of work over 20 years? FSC. The FSC Edge, it's a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies. Expert services helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality. They support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the U.S. and Europe. That includes the European Patent Office. 
Office, the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The only group of companies worldwide to provide such support to all three of these agencies. Working at FSC, you have a chance to work with fun people with great attitudes and learn about patents. You're not on the phone. You're not customer-facing. It's casual dress. And the work environment, it's a new environment with over $2 million in improvements. You have access to generous benefits packages, company support for health and wellness, and you do impactful work on a national scale. Make a difference. Their team's constantly growing, and they're always looking for new people to join their mission. Check out what's available today at fscedge.com. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at HVarsity Radio. Call in at 402-489-1240 or at 800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal. Into our two, it's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. We'll get to some of the stream comments in a little bit as uh, we'll get things kicked off. Still comments from Coach Riola and Coach Dvorak here to come as they met the media today. Christian and Elijah Herbal, thanks for spending time. You can find us uh, on Facebook and Twitter, the KFOR Facebook and Twitter, the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter handle at HVarsity Radio and the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Uh, just find Hale Varsity. Evan Bland with us from the Omaha World Herald. He'll kick off Hour 2 and Evan Bland OWH on Twitter. Evan, how we doing? Are you uh, able to navigate through this, uh, well, this glazed Wednesday evening? Thanks for the time. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Need the, the ice skates to move along the road here, I think, tonight. So it's a little bit slow going, but hanging in. Good, good, good. Thanks for, for your time and get a start with football. We'll get to some baseball in a moment, but uh, let's uh, start with the offensive line and the, uh, the the work that's going in here in winter conditioning and right now the assessment that's ongoing. And at least this is one spot, Evan, where Nebraska has some familiarity, not just with personnel, but with the same coach, with the same coach in Riola as he's able to, to kind of see where, where guys are at and then confer with his well with his new partners on offense uh, they're still searching for the best five yeah i think that's a good way to put it and it's sort of refreshing actually to be able to talk a little bit about last season a little bit about some of the personnel because to this point uh, and you know through no fault of anybody's really but a lot of the coaches just have not been uh, equipped to talk about the guys on their roster because they're still learning of names and and abilities and things so it was kind of fun to hear from Donovan Rail uh, really I believe for the first time since uh, fall camp uh, last year so to hear him you know put out an assessment that he felt like the offensive line got better week to week uh you know i thought was was notable um and and yeah i mean as he pieces together what this offensive line could look like uh you know with teddy perhaska still out this spring what does that look like at left tackle i mean he threw out a name like bryce benhart who's been on the right side or Turner corcoran could move back out there uh, you know, it may have been coach speak, maybe not, but just this idea that Ben Scott, the Arizona State transfer, uh, isn't necessarily earmarked for that center spot. I still think he'll probably end up there, but just this notion that um, competition's wide open, that 
they expect to see some some progression and improvement from a lot of these guys who've been in the program for a number of years now uh, was interesting too. And so, you know, we've heard from Matt Rule, we've heard from uh, Marcus Satterfield, guys like that who have been enamored with Donovan Rayl and the way that he teaches the offensive line and how he goes about his business. And, you know, I think what we heard from, from Rayola today generally is in line with what we've heard from him in the past. A lot of shorter answers, but I think at times, too, just this, this mentality of toughness and uh, what he wants this line to be. So year two is always easier than year one, especially at a, at a position where cohesiveness and, and sort of working in concert is especially key, and um, he's going to get that chance here moving forward. If you were to, to, to get asked by uh, uh, Riola, where do you think Turner's best fit is? We've seen him everywhere. Yeah. I mean, he, he mentioned he could even play some center. center. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> we've seen him at left tackle. We've seen him at the guard spot. Uh, you know, I, I'm no talent scout, but I, what I've heard and what I've seen, I would say, you know, you look at what he would project to be at at the next level, I'd, I'd put him at guard personally. I mean, that's a spot, too, where Nebraska's uh, kind of struggled to find a lot of continuity and push through the middle of that line in recent years. And, and you look at, you know, you think back to Turner Corcoran. I mean, he was a four-star kid getting offers from all over the country. So the potential's there. The pedigree's there. Uh, he's in that back half of his career now where you you would hope that that potential turns more into production. Um, but he's you know he's a versatile kid, uh, not afraid to work. You talk to him; he's he's the guy who wears the run the damn ball hat, you know. So he's he's <laughs> bought into what the culture is. But I would imagine interior ideally would be the spot. But again, it's especially when you're a little light on scholarship numbers, the way Nebraska still is. Those guys who are versatile across the line are especially valuable. Yeah, and with with, with Turner. You mentioned the, the run the damn ball. I think that fits better for an interior offensive lineman, especially whenever you, you look at what he's put on film in recent years. And he has at times looked a little bit lost out in space with that tackle position going up against some really high-level edge rushers in the Big Ten, guys that have the speed advantage on him. At times, he's just looked a little bit mismatched out there on the edge. And, and I think interior offensive line might be the fit for him. But there's also a bit of a, a log jam on the interior offensive line as well, Evan. When you look at Nuri coming back off of uh, off of suspension for a year, Ben Scott gets added into the mix. You had Ethan Piper, who's got really two years of starting experience. I know he's been kind of thrown into the starting lineup and then removed from it in times over the past couple of seasons, but there's there's somewhat of a logjam there if Turner does end up making the full-time switch into guard. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that's what the spring is going to be all about, is is trying to find the best five, and we've heard Rayla say that before. Um, but you think, I mean, they have other options at tackle now, too. And, and three years ago, or two years ago, they pretty much needed to put Turner Corcoran out there. You think about that end of the 2020 season when he got his first start against Rutgers. That was out of necessity because of injuries. And now there's a situation or a scenario where you could put Ben Hart out on the edge. You don't know what Jacob Hood, the Georgia transfer coming in, maybe can bring to the uh, equation. Teddy Prohaska out this spring, but somebody that you feel really strongly about long-term being you know, a solution out there, too. So, you know, I, I recall uh, Corcoran saying in previous interviews, too, it's really not that big of a jump for him to move from the inside to outside. I know for it, it sort of varies player to player on, on what that transition's like, but he's always sort of expressed that it, 
it doesn't really matter where he lands up. It's more of a mentality for him. And, um, you know, I think you're going to see that at a lot of positions this spring where coaches uh, with fresh eyes are going to evaluate players. And certainly the, the offensive line is a really interesting one because these players have been cross-trained. Um, and now you, you bring in a, in a guy like Matt Rule, who is well-versed, uh, especially in the trenches on that offensive side. It'll be really fascinating to see where he projects um, Corcoran and, and a lot of his mates along the line here moving forward. Evan, do you think the cross-trainings, and I don't know the amount of cross-training they've done other than that, that it's been done, and you've had guys flip-flop spots, but has that taken away from some development of the here and now? I mean, has that hurt this group as a whole because they've – they, they've they've struggled. They're they're getting better. I like what Coach Raiola said, and he was right. They got better as the year went on, but they had six different starting five rotations. You've not had Teddy for either season. Turner's had to play a bunch of different spots. You missed Nuri a year ago. Ben Hart's been out in and out of the lineup. Is this just as simple? The talents there, the continuity's got to kind of rise to the top, or do you think some of the cross trainings? hurt development at one spot? Well, I mean, I don't get the sense that what Nebraska's done cross-training is unusual in college football. I think that's pretty common, and and typically over the course of a player's career at that position, they sort of gravitate to wherever they might project at the next level. I mean, I think about Ben Scott, for example. He was the reason, one of the reasons he transferred from Arizona State was because he believes that he projects to be a center in the NFL and he was playing tackle at different times out there and didn't feel like he was being used well. So, you know, I think that's part of it. Um, ideally, right. Like you, you would be able to specialize in one spot and then sort of fill in elsewhere as needed. But, you know, it, it's been a rough go for Nebraska, whether it's through just, um, you know, misses in recruiting to injuries to ineffectiveness, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. They just haven't had the luxury of rolling out the same five guys and allowing them to build that rapport. It just hasn't happened. And so, you know, if you're, if you're trying to cover your bases, you, you better be sure you have enough guys who are equipped to play wherever a need may rise. And so I think, you know, Nebraska's been in, in survival mode a little bit just because of, of all the, the transitions and, and things in flux over the years that it's been hard to build up that continuity. And now maybe – um, you know, with the priority of, of bringing more bodies into the room. You know, R- Rule has said they want 16 scholarship offensive linemen in that room, and I think it's, you know, 13 or 14 right now. Um, you know, that's that's going to be a major point of emphasis building up. Uh, they're going to continue to cross-train, but, you know, hopefully for, for Nebraska's sake, um, again, they have the luxury to, to build some depth behind them and to be able to specialize a little bit too. Evan Bland is with us here from the Omaha World Herald. It's Hale Varsity Radio. And Evan, let's switch gears here. Talk Carter Nelson. He's picked up just a laundry list of offers over the past couple days. Bama, Georgia, Texas, Miami, as of an hour ago, has uh, reached out and sent an offer to, to Carter Nelson. So Nebraska is again going to be in for a dogfight for the, the top in-state recruit yet again. Where do you think Carter Nelson ranks on this Husker big board as it stands right now? I think Dylan Ryle is at the top, but Carter Nelson can't be far behind. Right. Yeah, he's probably yeah number two, uh, I, I would think, at this point. And it, it, what a story, right? I mean, a, an eight-man player from Ainsworth, Nebraska, getting the kind of attention that he is from uh, the defending champs, Miami, like you mentioned, Alabama, 
and a whole host of other schools. I, you know, I, I think in, in one breath, it's sort of it's just a reminder of how, uh, you know, national recruiting has become. I mean, a guy like that 10 or 15 years ago is not getting that kind of attention, but through technology, um, you know, huddle, social media, different things like that, uh, these schools are recruiting everywhere, and they can find a, a player anywhere. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to Ainsworth, Nebraska, uh, but I have, and it's it's. I mean, it is out there. You you have you you don't go to Ainsworth accidentally. I mean, you got to try to get there. And so, uh, for him to get that attention is a testament, I think, to where recruiting is going. But it's also a testament to Carter Nelson himself and what he's been able to do, the measurables that he has. You know, an, eight, an eight-man player generally speaking, does not get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to recruiting tape and things like that. So uh, whether that's makeup, physical ability, versatility, um, I mean, that's a guy who's who's got it all, who's going to have all the big dogs after him. You you would have to think that the in-state school um, would have uh, an inside track there to Carter Nelson's services down the stretch. But I think it's a reminder, too, for Nebraska and Nebraska fans that um, you know, 20 years ago, if you offer an in-state kid, you're feeling pretty good that that guy's coming. And now um, the reality is you have to put in the effort to recruit those guys just as much as you would a player from out of state or a long way away. And you know, I think luckily for Nebraska, Matt Rule's already uh, put in some effort there. So it's going to be a fight. I, I still would think that Nebraska's got as good a chance as anybody, but it's going to be a fun process to watch play out. Okay, so you've been to Ainsworth, Evan. Did you stop at the cafe? Did you have a slice of pie, or did you have some? Uh, did you have a chicken fried steak? Tell me, tell me the food layout. Oh my gosh, it, it's been a while. So I, I interned uh, at a at a paper up in Norfolk um, way mm-hmm. back in the day, two thousand eight, sure. and uh, I was on an assignment out there. Drove way out there for a day. I, I, <laughs> food wise, man, I don't remember. I remember that a cool, uh, cool golf course, okay. um, the sprawling hills. Um, you know, it's it's big sky, all that stuff. It's a cool place to visit, but uh, man, I'd love to be a fly on the wall to see some of these major college football head coaches coming into Ainsworth to check out the scene. We have to do a road show out there one of these Let's days. Let's go see to, if we can just. We're gonna get. We'll, we'll get. A, we'll get a round of eighteen in. Yes. Well, then we'll go sit outside the high school and see what coaches we can see going into to Ainsworth High. Well, notable people from Ainsworth. Uh, you've got, uh, of course, Carter Nelson. Number Carter one. Carter Nelson, and, and then you have uh, Marvel Ray, a silent films actress. Huh. <laughs> so today I learned. There's two. <laughs> today there's I learned. Two. What did you learn from Will Bolt before we go, Evan? <laughs> well, I, I learned that it it's. Interesting, when your team struggles out of the gate, you have to sort of discern how much stock do you put in those struggles versus what you saw from season. So I think, you know, on the offensive side, they're pretty confident in what they can be. And I, from what I saw, I would think that this is going to be a lineup that's going to be stronger. Certainly last year, Dylan Carey came out of the gates hot. Charlie Fisher looks really strong. They have a number of other players who they feel good about. The pitching side will be interesting, especially in the bullpen, where you know they were within a run one way or the other in every game late uh, last weekend, and they found a way to to lose them all, through, whether through walks or walks or uh, ill-timed hits or things like that. So uh, it's a team that, uh, especially in the bullpen, I think that was challenged by their coaches to be more aggressive, to be more competitive, throw strikes, uh, trust your pitches, trust your conviction. Um, so I imagine we'll, we'll probably see a little bit of some role shuffling this weekend. Uh, you know, who, who who do you bring in in a high leverage situation late after what you just saw in San Diego? Like, there's just 
I don't know that there are a lot of names based on what we just saw that you feel good about. So uh, they're, I think, looking for a bounce back in the bullpen. They still believe they're a good team. Um, but after what you saw the first weekend, you know, again, I, I think you need to start seeing those results uh, in a game that they've been able to see behind the scenes now for many months. Evan, 15 seconds, what kind of baseball program is South Alabama? Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, they've had they've had their share of major leaguers over the year. Uh, Juan Pierre, Adam Lind from back in the day. Uh, I don't know how good they are this year. They got walked 20 times in a game last weekend, so their numbers look pretty good. Um, it tends to be a, a fairly traditional program, so we'll see how it goes. Evan Bland with us from the World Herald at Evan Bland OWH. Find him on Twitter. Read him with uh, Omaha.com. Evan, good to get caught up, man. Thanks for squeezing us in today. Thanks, guys. Right. Yep. Take care. There he is, Evan Bland. Ainsworth. We just got to do a, a summer show tour. Oh, go around the state. We'll hit every single, all 92 counties. Done. All right. That'd be we, tough. We just got <laughs> to get some Venmo here for, uh, for gas money. Like what you hear, high-quality radio and podcast is part of what we do at Hale Varsity. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's HailVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. And now, and now back to Hail Varsity Radio. Good stuff from Evan Bland. You want to get the podcast, we invite you to check it out. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, each segment or just the whole show. And you can watch the show, the Hail Varsity YouTube channel, Hale Varsity Radio, Twitter at HVarsity Radio, and uh, KFOR Facebook and Twitter, 489-1240, 489-1240, numbers to get in. You can also dial up a 800-825-5865. Some comments from the stream we'll get in here in a bit. Uh, Sal checks in, wants to know feelings about Dylan Riola canceling his Georgia visit. What's this mean? Go Big Red. Well, I know Georgia's kind of looking at a couple of quarterbacks, and you're under the gun if you're one of the top quarterbacks in the country to make your declaration here probably before May. And I I think that... for sure April. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's a factor here, but it could also be political. I don't have any inside knowledge. I say that a lot on this show. I don't have any inside knowledge here. I do love reading the tea leaves. I think I'm, I'm decent at it. Recruiting can be political in a sense. There's a new offensive coordinator in Georgia. Well, you told the old offensive coordinator and the head coach that I'm going to come out and take a visit. You didn't talk to this new offensive coordinator. You don't have the same relationship. Yeah, because the, the OC is off to Baltimore. So you, you cancel that recruiting visit and say, hey, I want to build up a relationship with you before I go lock myself in an official visit here. Do you want to make me a priority or not? You're the new offensive coordinator here. It's up to you. I'm going to cancel my visit and wait for you to be the person that comes and builds this relationship with me because I have USC, where I had a great visit two weeks ago. They're building a relationship with me. Nebraska sent the entire staff down here to come visit me uh, during the recruiting period this year, and I'm going to go up and take a visit with them. It's a new offensive coordinator in Georgia, and it sounds like 
family friend of the Royals, Matt Stafford, uh, has a, a pretty high opinion of, of Coach Bobo down at Georgia because he was uh, Stafford's was quarterback's coach yeah. at Georgia. Stafford apparently has a very high opinion of him. That could sway the Ryola family here and Dylan Ryola here knowing that Matt Stafford says, hey, I think you're going to do great with, with Coach Mike Bobo down there. But it's I think it could just be about, you know what, letting this, this new offense coordinator know, you don't have to come recruit me if you don't want to. I'm going to cancel this visit. Don't feel the pressure. If you want to come recruit me, if you want to come build a visit with me or come build a relationship with me, come and do so, and we can talk about rescheduling that visit. Here, here's what the Riolas have as the the top quarterback in the country. Uh, they have the talent. They have the resources. They have the, the family interest. But above all, they have got a great BS meter. Think about the situation he's in. And to your point about Bobo, his time at Georgia, the Stafford-Riola relationship in Detroit for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, uh, Stafford's a family friend. He's going to shoot dad and kids straight about this dude uh, as, as the OC. He's probably getting parked in Athens, and he's going to make a phone call. I mean, it's, it's not that Georgia's out of this. Um, by any means. In, in, in fact, this may not be great news if you're Nebraska. They've already won a couple of national championships. They all, already have a killer offensive and defensive line. They already have studs at running back, tight end, and wide receiver there. Okay, um, They've got it rolling. They're killing it. Kirby Smart's locked in. But this offensive coordinator and his connection with the Riola family, that's better than it, it was. Well, it could uh, be. It could be. It could be, based on the family relationship. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Riley's singing sweet tunes right now because of the Heismans and how much fun the offense has been. And whether the quarterbacks have produced in the NFL or not, he's put two number one draft picks into the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's that aspect. But you know, Nebraska's going to stay in the race, uh, Sal, just because of, of Donnie and the work Nebraska will put in to develop this relationship. I think, I mean, I can't read uh, Dominic's mind, but it's, it's clear that Nebraska will have every opportunity and uh, you have the familia advantage. That's, that's, that's it. Now, the, fifth, the family advantage, and I've mentioned a couple times in this show, it, from all accounts, Dylan grew up a Husker fan. D- Dylan grew up wanting to be a Husker. I think if all things were even, if, if Nebraska was running the same type of program as Georgia and USC right now, I think Dylan Riley would already be a Husker. And, and I don't think that's a stretch to say, but you have to look at the history of Nebraska as well and the history of what is being put out at USC and at Georgia. If you have confidence that Matt Rule is going to get this thing turned around and, and you think I have the, the same opportunity at Nebraska as I do at USC and I think Georgia, I think Nebraska will be the pick, but that's that's the question that he has to sift through his mind right now because there's a proven track record at USC. You know what Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma and he already showed in year one at USC. He's going to continue that with the with the Trojans. And I'll say this. Um, if I'm a Nebraska fan, I know that damn it, I'm going to have to score 50 points to win at USC in any bowl game based on the way the defenses have been playing at USC. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's that's still a thing. USC is still giving up 40 to anybody that's big and tough and physical named Utah, all right? Uh, and Dylan's got to decide what he wants to be. He's already super talented. Does he want to be a guy that keeps it rolling at a Georgia, the next great at Georgia? 
or the next great at USC? Or is he going to be a guy like a Tommy Frazier or a Turner Gill, another, another great versus the next great, but another great that flips the program? Because generational quarterbacks do that. That's big pressure. That's big ask. But that's the conversations we're having about number one quarterback in the country, a five-star commit. They're supposed to, they're supposed to do that or put you in position with the, the rest of the recruiting hall they bring. Well, it goes back to our original conversation we started the show off with. Where does winning start? Well, maybe it starts with going and luring the number one player in the country to your program. <laughs> That, that, that might not be a wrong answer. Now, I don't necessarily think... It's got to mesh up with what you're doing in winter conditioning. I, I don't think there necessarily are any wrong answers no. to that conversation. There's a lot, of, there's a lot of right answers to this conversation. Because I look at it, and the first place mine goes, my mind goes is, is competition. That's where winning starts. Mm-hmm. Competition, not only in your own locker room, but who are you going to be playing next season? If you're UCF, remember that, that magical UCF 2017 season, Scott Frost's final year there, if they go and, and win the Sugar Bowl... Uh, if you put that UCF team in the SEC, do you think they go run the table? No. They no. Beat, they beat, I'll say this, they beat the team that beat the two teams playing for the national championship. Auburn that year went 8-5. and five, Yeah. But they beat Georgia and they beat Alabama. Does UCF go beat Georgia and Alabama that year, though? Pro- probably not. And that, that's why I'm saying with, with competition from the outside, like, you can have a great football team, but you can go play the top 12 teams in the country back to back to back to back, and you might go 0-12. So competition matters there. But I, I was talking more about what kind of competition do you have in your own program mm-hmm. i think that's where winning starts do you have a competitive type program where every single guy all 101 you have right now soon to be 85 does every single guy care about winning more than anything else in the entire world that, that that's what competition is to me are they going to go out and put their their heart and soul on the line every single day at practice because damn it they want to be on the field and they want to go win football games on saturday are they that competitive that's where i think winning starts it's the type of guys you bring in and the the, the type of culture that you start at your program. You're fostering. It, it's, yeah. it's a mentality. It's a standard. Let's hear from Coach Dvorak, the linebackers coach. And this really stuck out to me because he was asked to, to describe Tony White's defense. And his job is edge and linebackers and, quite frankly, to get after the quarterback. And he's got an interesting linebacker room. But let's get to the, the, the base point here about Mr. White's D. Chaos. Chaos. It's a. Uh, it's structured in a way that we can get to a lot of different fronts. We can get a lot of different coverages in in many different ways of doing it. So uh, it's hard to describe because we could do a lot of things, but it could also look the same. So um, it's it's been it's been really cool to to learn the system with Coach White and um, see see how we could you know win on defense. Well, I mean, the, the chaos is there, and, and you can make it look a lot of different ways as long as the kids get it and can play fast. That's the offense's problem if they're confused, Elijah, right? And I think that's it. And what I also like here is the ability to get your matchups. You've seen other teams do it to Nebraska the last few years where they stick their defensive stud over the weak part of the offensive line, and Epinesa goes to town. Uh, just one example. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get over the, what you said leading into that. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, no, I, I know. Yeah, you, yeah, you saw, yeah, yeah. And I just kind of went. <laughs> we're, we're we're talking, Mr. White's D. <laughs> yeah, Mr. White, <laughs> Coach White, and that defense. Defense, yeah, defense. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
Let's get to Romperu. Yeah, I didn't mean to phrase it that way. It just it just happened. It just happened. Okay, I'm, I'm going to pull that. That's that's uh, that quote's not going to die. <laughs> no, let's just let's just get rid of the tape. Moving forward. <laughs> Uh, let's let's uh, talk a little bit more here with Dvorak specifically, Coach Sherman. Uh, I shouldn't say Coach Sherman, but uh, Sherman and Borders. Those additions, uh, what they're going to mean to that linebacker room? Yep, they've been in my room and trying to find the right space for all those guys. But they've been a pleasure to work with. What do you What do you think in particular about those two and just the experience that they have coming from from the programs that they were in? What they can add here. Nothing, nothing in particular to them, too. I think everyone within the room has been doing a really good job. Um, they're tough kids. They work hard. They're competitive. And, and that's what we're looking for within the room. So let's hear a little bit from Coach Riola and uh, Cut 14 here. Thoughts on the offensive line last year. Get a little bit of an assessment here and uh, Coach Donnie's take. I thought as the year went on, they improved every game, which is – you know, being an offensive lineman, it's such a process, right? You got a new coach, new techniques, new calls, all those different things. And as you watch the season go on, they got better and better and better. And that's all we're focused on. We're focused on today, um, focusing on our process of improvement. And um, that's that's what we're going forward with. So let's talk about Turner Corcoran and just how interchangeable he is. He needs to be on the line. Where does he best fit? Where can he help out? And where can he thrive? Yeah, he's he's uh you know he's uh you know he's one of those guys you can play outside at tackle or guard, right? So it's always good. But we work all those guys in different spots just so you know they're preparing. You know who knows, right? Last year was pretty interesting, right? So uh, we just work them, you know, on the left side, right side. So they're working on different stances, different types of movements. Uh, you know, the left side obviously is different than the right side a little bit, right? Um, so, you know, it, it's great having guys like that, you know, that you know, hey, something happens, he can move here or there. And that's what you try to build, right? Every guy should be, you know, in that. Now, center's a little different, but, you know, every guy should be able to play tackle, guard, or center, right? So that's what, you know, when we go through this process, we're working them all, all over the, all over the uh, line. So, Scott, not necessarily inked in at center, uh, to Evan's point, and Babbers talked about it last hour, that you know he's he's spent some time at tackle. Yeah, we're working through that right now. You know, Turner. Um, you know, we can throw Bryce over there. We can throw other guys out there, right? So Nuri could go out there. You know, we're still we're still figuring all those things out. Um, there's nothing set in stone right now. So yeah, you know, we're just seeing seeing who the best five is right now, and we'll figure that out once we get our pads on and all those things. But you know, we're just focusing on the work that that we're doing right now. You know, such a, a big time right now for that offensive line. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio, presented by Currency. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. Dr. Brandon Seifert with us. He's got his snow goggles on. And I think he's gripping that steering wheel. He's navigating safely. Dr. Brandon, how you doing? I'm great, Chris. How are you guys doing? Good. Do we need to send a uh, sled and some huskies out for you? (laughs) 
We might need those in a few more miles here. Maybe uh, maybe a dog with yeah. a barrel of brandy around its neck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll send you a St. Bernard. <laughs> there it is. Let's get, get you some medicine. Uh, well, something needs to numb that wrist for Giannis. My goodness, that didn't look good. No, it was pretty brutal, wasn't it? Yep, Giannis is our topic of, of all places to uh, to ding yourself. That uh, so-called atrocity of an all-star game is where uh, he got hurt, just two points. Giannis out with sprained ligaments in that right wrist. Dr. Brandon, let's get into the different levels of, of pain and sprain that can happen with the Greek freak. Yeah, absolutely. So as you think about this, it's a little tough kind of figuring out in which side of the wrist they're talking about. The wrist, wrist sprain is pretty broad. Um, there's obviously some different pathways you can go down with different types of wrist sprains. Uh, but as you look at this, kind of the, the three main ones that we typically will see more so on the outside of the wrist, if you kind of feel a little bump on the outside of your wrist, that's called the ulnar styloid. There's a big kind of triangular-shaped ligament that sits over that outside of the wrist called the triangular fibrocartilage complex, or TFCC. That's a pretty commonly one that's injured. Uh, we see that a lot in, like, our baseball players, our, our hockey athletes. Uh, to do a lot of basically velocity through that area with the swinging stick or the bat. Uh, see it some with uh, certain types of twisting injuries. No doubt with the injury he had, the mechanism he had, he could have sustained some trauma to that area. Then there's kind of your generic, we call kind of dorsal wrist sprain, which is basically the tissue that covers the back of the wrist called the capsule, and that's on the back side of your wrist. And that's where predominantly most of these occur, and no doubt he's got at least a component of that. And then you also can have a component where you sprain more on the thumb side, or we call the radial side of the wrist, and there's some other thicker ligamentous complexes in that area you can sprain. Uh, the biggest thing in, is with these, if somebody's having pain in particular on the thumb side of the wrist, we call it the radial side, there's a small bone just off kind of the tip of the wrist there called the scaphoid, and that's something that you always want to check out and make sure you image well if somebody's having pain in that area. These are ones that can be you know, missed as kind of the chronic wrist sprain, if you will, that never gets x-rayed. They just kind of treat as a sprain, put some tape on it, let them keep playing, and then a couple months goes by, it keeps hurting, and they finally get x-rays, and you find that the patient has you know, a fracture in the scaphoid. That's what you obviously want to try to avoid. And so those are kind of the main areas. Some really high-level trauma, and they're not really talking about this with him, um, is between that scaphoid bone we just talked about, there's another little bone next to that called the lunate, and there's a really thick ligament that basically attaches between those two. It takes really high-level trauma to tear that, but that puts you in kind of a whole other category and start talking surgery when you start talking about that level of trauma. Dr. Brandon, I, I follow an Instagram page that showcases some of the, the worst skateboarding mishaps and crashes that you can imagine. And the number one thing I've learned from that page is if you're going to be going down, don't put that arm and that wrist out to brace yourself because it's only going to lead to a, a broken wrist or, or something of the like. So are, are we lucky here that this is just a sprained wrist for Giannis and this might only be a, a couple weeks out? Or, or could this lead to some lingering issues for him in his game? Yeah, you know, it can be twofold. You know, one, it, most of the time these, these turn the corner pretty quick. Um, and especially somebody who's a basketball player, it should turn the corner pretty quick and do well. Obviously, you can go the other way if, if it's a little higher grade than what maybe they're alluding to or maybe a little higher grade than, say, what the imaging shows. Then it could become more lingering. Um, obviously, if you fall, you kind of retweak this. If somebody grabs onto this, kind of twerks it while he's playing, that can you know, send him back. Uh, but I think in his scenario, I think this would be a reasonably quick return for him. 
Dr. Brandon Seifert's with us. Nebraska Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. Giannis, the Greek freak, our topic, and that wrist sprain, the sprained ligaments. Dr. Brandon, what are some of the, the treatments that are going on right now? What What is the medical staff, what are the Bucks doing right now to get him uh, back sooner rather than later without rushing it? Yeah, and so you're obviously going to utilize some anti-inflammatory, some ice, kind of that classic rice uh, protocol initially. Uh, with these, we always want to work hard to make sure we're not missing out on range of motion. So they'll start some gentle range of motion with him. Um, then they'll start to do kind of some gradual strengthening. They might even try just for some immobilization and like a Velcro splint or even a, a more of a plaster type of splint for him just to give this some soft tissue rest, particularly when he's sleeping at night. Those are things that they might utilize. And then as you kind of progress over the next maybe seven to ten days, they start to get more aggressive with the PT side of it in terms of some strengthening and some band work. So he's back, let's say, in X number of weeks. Ballpark it for me, if you could. Best case, worst case. And then what's the re-injury rate with this? Yeah, you know, I think he's probably back. And I would give you kind of a window of two to four weeks. I think is reasonable just kind of based on the reports they're giving to us. Um you know, re-injury risk on this, reasonably low in basketball. Obviously, the thing you worry about with these is somebody is doing a really repetitive, like, a, again, baseball is one of those, or, or, or golf, um, where you're basically swinging, swinging repetitively. Doing more basketball, I think you can protect this a little bit more as a player. And so I, I think his re-injury risk is, is a lot lower than, say, those other sports. Obviously, it's not zero if he falls on this just right or somebody grabs onto it, a rebound or something, that can make that a lot worse. But I think he's got a pretty high, you know, good prognosis coming back early. Is this something he can re-injure it by going up for a dunk or even going up for a block with, with the amount of force that's coming in either way? Yeah, great great question, Chris. I would say more on the block side. Um, you know, at least with the dunk side, most of the time you're going to be able to control that a little bit better. On the block side, obviously the opponent's moving, you're moving along with him. Probably more at risk of tweaking it more with a, a block shot type of scenario. So, Dr. Brennan, is there going to be any protection that's available for Giannis in-game here with, with wrist braces? Because I, I think of the sport of basketball and how important that wrist is for shooting, for layups, for just uh, ball handling. A lot of the game uh, is using your wrist, and I'm wondering, is it possible to put on some sort of wrist brace for Giannis as he returns from injury to, to lower that re-injury risk? Yeah, you know, the hard part is, uh, you know, if you're talking, you know, shooting hand, it's hard, obviously trying to put something rigid on there is not going to work. You could try something as simple as one of those little elastic sleeves that could go over. I've seen some folks use that. Honestly, the thing they'll probably use that we see the most is more kind of some type of fancy tape. Uh, taping technique is probably what they'll utilize for him. That'd give him probably the, the most freedom in terms of range of motion. They're going to have to use a, roll, a whole roll on that wrist? <laughs> they might early on. <laughs> it's a big wrist <laughs> to, to, to tape up. Dr. Brandon Seifert is with fella. us. Oh, he's, he's huge, man. He's, he's awesome to watch. Dr. Brandon Seifert with us. Nebraska Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. Giannis and his wrist sprain are topic. Dr. Brandon, we'll get caught up again soon. Thanks for a few minutes today. All right, fellas. Take care. And the St. Bernard is in route, Dr. Brandon. should be there in roughly two hours. So that's what he's carrying. Got some bourbon in there. <laughs> Elijah drank half. There we go. You, you, you did. It's uh, icy 
in Lincoln, where we're broadcasting from. We hope you're safe wherever you hear us. And uh, be careful out and about with uh, this winter storm weather, this winter storm warning in a lot of the different parts of the state where you're hearing us. So be careful. We'll wind down a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity, and we're presented by Currency. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time, a Wednesday podcast available for you if you just caught part of us or want to catch more of us on your time. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play with Hale Varsity Radio. Full segment, uh, different segments, the full show, whatever you want is yours. We love a feedback and uh, you to subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything and check out all the other Family of Heard At podcasts there. Uh, all sorts of goodness to choose from. Uh, be sure to get the magazine and digital subscription, too, with Hale Varsity. HaleVarsity.com backslash offer. New issue is out. It is flat out incredible. Gets you a good spring preview of baseball and softball and plenty of spring football thoughts as well. We talked about Colorado and the fact that Colorado, Colorado State sold out. We just got our hotels booked for Boulder. Ooh. Excited for that. Did you, did you get me a room? Uh, kinda. <laughs> That's not a good answer. I, I don't know that I have a bed. I have a room. All right? I have a room. You don't know if you have a bed, though? I don't know if it's one or two. Wow. Doesn't matter. Give me a pillow and a blankie and make sure there's no bugs yeah, crawling around. I, I keep a sleeping bag in my car at all times for times just like this. So you never know. Uh-huh. You never know what the situation is going to be like. So I always have a, a sleeping bag and actually a pack of matches with me at all times in my car, just in case. <laughs> what are the matches for? Well, like, look at a day like Campfire? today. Look at a day like today. What if I get stuck out on the roads and... You got to set your car seat on fire? Well, I was going to say I'm at a place where, like, you know, there's no cell phone reception. I can't call 911, so therefore I'm, I'm stuck. I'm on my own. I'm going to be stuck out in the elements for the night. I got a sleeping bag, which is certified down to 20 degrees. Have you ever had to make a, a, a campfire? Have you ever had to make a campfire? Yeah. Without? Oh, without, like, a, no. Without, without well, matches. I, I've done it with, uh, with, with a flint. That's not too bad. Okay. If you have the flint, it's really easy. Like, if you're talking, like, rubbing sticks you're together. you've not had to go full Tom Hanks. No, I've never had to rub sticks together. I've never had to, to, to pull that one. I don't think I ever could. I couldn't, man. I'd be done. Well, I used to watch enough Bear Grylls and Les Stroud back in the day. At least I, I have, like, somewhat of an idea of how I'd go about it. But I don't think I'd, I'd be successful. I pray still. for a lightning strike. <laughs> uh, Brian chimes in. He said, after going to Boulder for Husker games in the 80s, while a student at UNL, I just assumed flinging whiskey bottles at, and other inanimate objects at visiting fans required uh, at the 100-course level at CU. Well, Cousin Jason got hit by Jack Daniels' bottle. He wasn't flinging it at anybody. Uh, it ended in tear gas. It ended, it ended in stitches for him. That's all right. He missed the tear gas because he got knocked out. Well, now, he may have been mouthing off. I don't know. Well, I feel like anyone that's sat in the UNL student section has been hit with a fireball shooter. That's a little different than a Jack Daniels bottle, but fireball <laughs> shooter, it's very annoying. Well, well, at least it's empty. For the most part. For the most part. Well, sometimes sometimes you'll, you'll get one thrown your way from uh, someone down the row that's full, and that's, that's a good day for you if you're in that's, the student that's, section. That's a, a great day. Well, well played. But, allegedly, I should say, uh, at allegedly, well, if there's anyone and, from the and, university and, listening. And then, of course, Creighton last night uh, t- won a tough one against Marquette. Big road win for Marquette. Great effort by Creighton. But uh, I know that there were some things hurled towards uh, Marquette as they went off the floor. And Coach Mack addressed that immediately 
And that, you know, Creighton fans get beat up a lot by, by Nebraska fans just verbally, and that's not Creighton-like. Mm-mm. I know too many Creighton fans that are good dudes that, that aren't, aren't like that. A lot of frustration, a chance to, to be in first in the Big East. Well, did you hear about the Lemon situation in the XFL this weekend? The fans got their beer snake taken. They put all the cups together into a large beer yeah. snake. Stadium confiscated, and somehow someone had a large quantity of lemons. They started passing around. They started throwing lemons on the field because they were mad about their beer snake being it's taken. It's not quite the orange bowl, is it? <laughs> Tomorrow, Gary Barnett with us. Brandon Vogel, talk to you at four on Hale Varsity. Thank you. A Huda Media Production.